Open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 16 to 18. All right, for the sake of context this morning, let's begin in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. This passage is all about prayer, so that's how we need to begin. Father, we thank you for the singing that we've been able to do this morning. Songs full of good words, like, what more can he say than to you he has said? Father, we know that your word is enough for everything that we need, for all life and all godliness that we seek to attain. Your word is enough. And so we come to your, to you, um, into your presence, and we come into your word excited, ready, anticipating, willing to hear what you would have us to hear today. And I pray, Father, that the word that comes from my mouth would be true to the word that you have had written. And I pray that not only my lips, but my heart would bring honor and glory to you. And I pray that tremendous good, tremendous help would be for my church family today as we listen to you speak to us. Give to us, we ask, according to your promise, your Holy Spirit. We look to you for your grace in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. If one of our young men was going to war, what would you do for him? If one of our young men was going to war, what would you do for him? I'm looking for answers out loud. Okay, pray. Automatic answer. Our young men are at war. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, it says in Ephesians 6. That's not the enemy that we fight. But they are engaged in a fight against powers of darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the unseen realm. The enemy that they are engaged in combat with is more numerous than Al-Qaeda, is swifter than ISIS, and over the last month plus we have seen how quick they move on the battlefield. The enemy that they are engaged with is more devious than Hamas. And we have seen how devious they are and deceptive. All of our young people are at war. And so am I, and so are you. What would you do if I was going to war? You would pray for me. I am at war. Please pray for me. 
Pray for each other as we are engaged in this fight. And I want you to know what confidence this morning you can have as you pray for your brothers and sisters. I'm submitting to you this morning from the Word of God that you can have more confidence for a young person who is engaged in spiritual combat as you pray, then you can have, then confidence you can have, and effectiveness you can have as you pray for a young person on the physical field of battle. You can have more confidence as you pray for them as they are in spiritual combat. I'll tell you why. Back in February, I believe it was, Thomas Malone passed away. And so I, I was talking a lot with his son, Tommy Malone. And he was telling me a little of the history of their family, which I just think is really cool because they have been in this community for such a long, long time. But he was telling me about his grandfather. And I can't remember his, his first name. But his, his grandfather, Thomas's father, died in the Second World War. I believe it was in the spring of 1945, if I recall correctly. But his, his tomb is just outside here at the top of the hill on, in the old part of the cemetery. And he said that when his grandfather was overseas, he wrote to his grandmother and said that he was looking forward to coming back to Ald's Chapel, to that little church, he said. And he was looking forward to seeing that church progress and go forward. But he died before he could ever get back home. Now, don't you think that the little congregation that was in the mid-1940s was praying for him? That he would make it home safe? I'm sure that they were. But he died. The Bible says that as we pray for one another, who are engaged in spiritual combat on a daily basis, the Bible says that as we pray for one another, we will live. The people we pray for will live, even as we are wounded in combat, even when we go down, even when we sin. We will not sin the sins that lead to death. We will not be lost forever. The second death will have no power over us. And so we can pray with incredible confidence, knowing that our prayers will be effective. In fact, this is what I believe John is saying in 1 John 5, 16 to 18. That one of the means, one of the means that God has appointed for you to persevere to the end in faith is the prayers of your brothers and sisters. God uses our prayers for one another to preserve us unto the end. And so we need to be praying. Take advantage of this incredible gift that God has given to us. Let us pray in confidence. Do you ever think that in your personal relationship with God that people in the church need to mind their own business? I know that I am sick and tired of hearing that kind of talk. You know, what you do is none of my business. What I do is none of your business. Let's just have everybody in the church mind their own business. As though John had said, look at verse 16 again. Like John had said, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, 
not leading to death, he shall mind his own business. What you do is none of my business. What I do is none of your business is nothing less than the philosophy of that murderer Cain who said to God, am I my brother's keeper? I know that nobody here wants to think like Cain. So let's reject that. We, we don't relate to each other like the world relates to each other. The world says, you know, what I, what I do is none of my business. And I'm not saying that we are to know every personal, intimate detail about the good we do or the bad we do about each other. We don't need to know everything. But this worldly philosophy of mind your own business is not the way that we think anymore. Because by the blood of God's Son, we have been reconciled to Him and we have been brought into peace with each other to walk this glory road together and to help one another along so that we persevere. Let's recap the context before we get into this text in detail. It's not going to take me long today. Going back to verse 13, which we read. John waited until the end of his letter to sum up the purpose for which he wrote. He said that he was writing so that all who believe in the name of the Son of God may know that they have eternal life. So he was writing so that we would know in confidence that we do know God. Right? Because that's what eternal life is. Knowing God. So John wrote that we would be assured, that we would be confident that we know God. And this confidence that we have of knowing God translates to confidence in talking to God. That's what we see in verses 14 to 15. This is the confidence that we have toward Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. So confidence in knowing God leads to confidence in talking to God. And now He says we can be confident as we talk to God about one another. And that's the concentration of verses 16 to 18. And that's how these several verses relate to each other. So much confidence in our relationship with God that even as we take each other's case before God and plead on each other's behalf before Him, we can be absolutely confident that God will hear the things we request. Prayer is, really when you think about it, is a small love, isn't it? We know that prayer is important. In fact, we are covenanted together as members of this church to pray for one another. We say in our our new covenant, we say, we promise to pray for one another. And it's such a small thing that we do. It's not one of those blood, sweat, and tears activities, is it? I mean, there, there may be tears at times, but I don't think that I have ever emerged from prayer bloodied and covered in sweat. The only person that we know that had blood, sweat, and tears as he prayed is the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. For that reason, you know, prayer is a small love. But it's a small love that we show for one another as we pray for each other with incredible power. It's a small love with incredible power. So John says in verse 16, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. Does anybody get tired of our prayer meetings when 
our prayer requests center on temporal things? Our, our temporal needs are great. And there are many seasons in our lives when they are especially great. As we pray concerning losses in our church family, and as we pray for uh, insecurities and, and struggles and sicknesses and so on. But even as we share those prayer requests together for the temporal things, there must be that spiritual element. I long for the day when every time a, a prayer request for temporal things is shared, we end it with, but help me to trust God, pray that I would trust God no matter what. That's how we should be praying. You know, God, I, I would love to have that, that new position, that new job, or that raise, because it would greatly help me to provide better for my family. But help me, even if I don't have it, to trust you, no matter what. I don't know where this sickness is going. It's been a long time, and things seem to be getting worse. I pray that you would heal me. But help me to trust you, no matter what. I, I just long for that day, when, when every temporal request ends that way. As we say, pray that I would get better, but also pray that I would trust God no matter what happens. Uh, there was a time when uh, the kids uh, lost their dog. Brian and Leah lost their dog. And we were going to pray for the dog as a family. And I just thought, how do I do this? What if we don't get the dog back? Because the dog had been gone for 24 hours or whatever. And so, you know, we prayed that the dog would return. But I said, but... Help these girls, Lord, to trust you no matter what happens. And I'm just saying, just giving you kind of a trivial example, to say that that's how we can pray for every single temporal and physical need that we have. I believe that it's a sign of Christian immaturity to only ask for the things of this world. So there's something better than getting better. There's something better than getting better physically. There is love for God. There is worship. There is rejoicing in the hope of glory. There is the fruits of the Spirit. Having those things are better than getting better. And those are the kinds of things that we should need to be praying for. Listen, we were talking about combat, war at the beginning, and we're engaged in spiritual combat. Spiritual forces of evil may inflict the Christian's body. They may inflict sickness, like, like Satan was able to inflict on Job with the permission of God. So spiritual forces may inflict your body, but their aim, believe me, is always your heart. There are worse things than getting worse. If you lose rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, if you lose love, joy, peace, and long-suffering, if those things are replaced with unbelief and bitterness, that's worse than getting physically worse. And that's why we need to be praying for one another as we go through uh, physical struggles and material struggles and so on. We need to be praying that spiritual element. Help us to trust you no matter what. And what if? What if it, if you were going through the most severe temporal struggle, I mean the kind of struggle that's not going to last into eternity, okay? What if you were going through the most severe temporal struggle of your entire life, but you had greater love for God and his people, greater joy, 
greater peace and greater long-suffering, what kind of victory would that be? Because the tendency when we physically suffer is that we go down spiritually as well. That doubt increases and and long-suffering ends and all of those things. What kind of victory would it be if spiritually we had greater success than before our physical struggle? That's God's intent in all suffering. Satan's is otherwise, of course. And that's why as we pray for one another in our temporal struggles, we need to pray for each other that help my brother to trust you no matter what. In, in that struggle, help her to have courage. Help her to keep on loving you. Help him not to doubt, Father. Help him to trust you. You will be hard-pressed to find prayers for physical concerns in the New Testament. Not to say that they're not there, but to say that they are relatively rare. There are a couple places we know Jesus taught us to pray for our daily bread. Third John 2 is a uh, partial, half of it is a prayer for physical concerns. But the vast majority of prayers are prayers for spiritual concerns. And so that's how we need to pray. Let's, and I just, I want you to think about that. Whether you're sharing a request on, on Facebook or in an email or just uh, sharing it aloud in a prayer meeting. Every temporal request, let's remember to include the spiritual element. Help us, Father, to trust you no matter what happens. Now, sometimes the Bible says here that you might not hear the need for prayer. Instead, he says, you'll see the need for prayer. Look at verse 16 again. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. So when you see sin in your brother's life, what do you do? What's the first thing you do? You pray before you do anything else. And we know that there are other things that we ought to do when we see sin in each other's lives. We need to offer correction humbly and patiently. We might if this, the sin is especially serious, we might need to step in with blunt admonishment and warning. We might need to rebuke. But before we do anything, we need to pray. We don't put them down except on our prayer list. We pray. And in everything else that we do, in conversation that we have with them, in warning, in pleading for them to be restored to the Lord, we pray. So before anything and in everything, let us pray. And, and John gives us the promise that allows us to pray with absolute confidence as we pray for our brother and sister. The, God's promise is that he or she, as the case may be, will live. They will live. Now, of course, if that individual that we see sinning is a true Christian, true brother, true sister, we know that they have life already. They have eternal life. So I take it to mean, uh, I take John to mean when he says that God will give this person life, he means that God will restore them. He will renew them in, in walking in that life. They will experience that life again. God will draw them back to himself. And this is God's promise. We know that this is God's will. If you see a brother in sin, and you pray for him, God's promise is that your brother will live. Your sister will live. They'll be renewed. They'll be restored. 
They will be rearmed. So as we pray over a, a fellow combatant in the spiritual fight, we can wait with confident expectation for God to raise them back up. They've been wounded, they're down, but they're going to get back up. They will be renewed, they will be restored, and they will be rearmed, and they're going to, to step back into the spiritual fight with spiritual strength in the power of the Holy Spirit. I think uh, one of the Bible's excellent examples of this for our instruction here would be the Lord praying for Peter. Remember, before Peter had denied Jesus, Jesus predicted that it was coming. Even though Peter didn't believe that it was coming, Jesus said, it's going to happen. And he said, to the, he said this to Peter. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, you're going to turn away, Peter, but when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. Now, we can't see the sin coming like Jesus did in all of its detail, of course. But when we do see the sin happening, we can pray with the same confidence that Jesus had in his prayers for Peter. Our brother is going to turn again. Our sister is going to get back up. Our, our brother's faith will not fail. And we can be confident that she is going to serve the church again. We can have that confidence. I, I don't know about you, but that makes me... Uh, I've never meditated on this passage before this week. But as I pray for you, that makes me very excited. I know for my true brothers and true sisters in the church, your faith will not fail. God will give you life. And then John adds, to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Not surprisingly, a lot of people wish that this passage wasn't in the Bible <laughs> because it's a pretty difficult one. Um, this is the pa one passage in 1 John that causes so much anxiety and consternation for, for preachers and commentators and really every Christian because no Christian I know wants to commit the sins that lead to death, do you? So we need to talk about this and figure out as best as we can what the Apostle John means by it. So let's ask questions of this text, all right? First, let's ask this. What kind of death is John referring to? He talks about sin that leads to death. What kind of death does he mean? Physical death or spiritual death? And second, what kind of sins lead to that death? We need to answer that question as well. So first of all, what kind of death does he mean? <clears throat> I believe that the death he's referring to is the opposite of the life that he's been talking about all throughout this letter. And what kind of life has he been talking to? In fact, uh, you could look down at verse 13 to get an idea of what kind of life he's been talking about. He's been talking about eternal life. And so I believe here he's talking about eternal death. That there is sin that leads to eternal death. And uh, to so the way that we come to 
interpretations of difficult passages, the first way is by looking to the context and seeing if there are any clues in the context of the letter that can help us come to the right conclusions. And I think that's what we're doing here. So John is referring to, I believe, eternal death. Well, that brings up a a separate question, which I didn't ask earlier. Because if this is eternal death, we need to ask the question, why is John talking about sins that lead to eternal death as he's talking about a brother? Is he saying that a true brother in the Lord can commit sin that leads to eternal death? Is he saying that salvation can be lost? Because if he is, he's contradicting stuff he said elsewhere. If he is, he's contradicting the rest of the the Bible, so we might just as well cut this passage out of the New Testament, or even cut out this letter, or just get rid of the Bible entirely. Because if the Bible contradicts itself, we can't actually trust it. I don't believe that John is talking about a brother committing sin that leads to eternal death. I believe that the Bible teaches, John included, that that is impossible. So why does he do it? I mean, why does he include brother as he's talking about sin that leads to eternal death? Remember, again, the context of this. What is going on in the churches that John is writing to? The churches that he is writing to have had many people, it seems, who have been accepted as genuine brothers and sisters for yay long, who have turned against the church and turned against God, and have proved, this is chapter 219, that they are not true brothers and not true sisters at all. John says, they left us. And when they left us, it is evidence that they were not of us to begin with. And so that's why he talks about, in this context, a brother, and he's also talking about sin that leads to eternal death, because some are passing themselves off as brothers. Some are making a good show of being a genuine sister in the Lord, but they're not actually. And so he talks about sin that leads to eternal death. Now, what what sins lead to eternal death? That was our earlier question. Okay, so just a quick review. What kind of death is he talking about? It would be strange, very strange, if after talking about eternal life and eternal death throughout the letter, John would suddenly start talking about physical death. So I believe he's talking about eternal death, and that he's not saying that a genuine believer can commit sin that leads to eternal death, but still we need to answer the question, what sin does? Now, in its interpretation, the Catholic Church has drawn up a list of two different kinds of sins. It says there are these mortal sins, like murder and adultery, and those would be unpardonable sins. And the other kinds of sins that are pardonable, the Catholic Church says those are venial sins. Those sins are forgivable. That's clearly wrong, because, I mean, you can see that John's not talking about anything like that, and if it was true that murder was an unpardonable sin, Think of the heroes of our salvation history that we should not expect to see in glory. Moses is not going to make it. David's not going to make it. The Apostle Paul himself is not going to make it if murder cannot be forgiven. Many other people, more Orthodox, uh, Protestant, uh, many others would say that John is referring to the unforgivable sin of Matthew 12 where Jesus is interacting with these Pharisees who say, 
you cast out demons by the power of Satan. And Jesus says, you have just crossed the line. When you attribute the power of the Holy Spirit in me to the devil and blaspheme the Holy Spirit and thus, thus reject me, you are committing the unforgivable sin. But again, that specific sin is not being talked about anywhere in John's letter. So again, let's appeal to the context of this letter. What is John doing as he talks about obedience and he talks about sin all throughout this letter? He's drawing a line, isn't he? And he's saying believers are on this side and unbelievers are on that side. And so we have these tests, you remember? We have tests of faith, test of obedience, and the test of love. And whoever fails those tests, who, whoever denies that Jesus is God's son, whoever continues in disobedience, and whoever does not love God's people is an unbeliever. And those who persevere in faith and love and obedience, they are evidencing the new birth in them, that they are genuinely the people of God. And so he's dividing them. And by my hand motions, I'm not saying that the sheep are on my right hand and the goats are on my left. But he is constantly making this division. So I think right from the beginning of this letter, John has been talking about the sins that lead to death. Denial of God's Son, disobedience to His commandments, and loving the world. If you're guilty of any one of those, you're guilty of all three. If you don't have faith in God's Son, you're not going to obey His commandments and you're not going to love His people, obviously, right? So these are the sins that lead to death. And John says, well, let me, let me read to you just a passage where he has said this already. He says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of, of uh, God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And he says in chapter 3, 14, he says, whoever uh, persists in these sins abides in death. So these are the sins that lead to death. Now John's concern here is that we be praying for each other, church family. He wants us to pray for our brothers and sisters in confidence. So at the end of verse 16, I, I don't think it's a big deal that he would say that he's not commanding us to pray for situations involving sin unto death. I think he says that because he's saying, that's not my concern here. That's not my concern. Pray for your brothers and sisters when you see them in sin. That does not lead to death. That's his concentration. Now that being said, I think it's really interesting, going back to our earlier example with Jesus and Peter, that when, when uh, Jesus predicts Peter's sin, he prays for him. And he, and he says, Peter, I have prayed for you, that your faith will not fail. But on the other hand, when he, taught, when he predicts Judas' sin, that Judas will betray him, he doesn't pray for Judas. He says, in fact, what you're going to do, do quickly. So he prays for the one, and he does not pray for the other. And in John 17, just before he's arrested, he, he says explicitly to the Father, I am not praying for the world, I am praying for those that you have given to me. Now, that being said, I don't know a Judas. I, 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 don't, I don't have the insight that Jesus had, whether someone is committing sin like Judas. So John is not saying, don't pray for that situation. 
I mean, look back at the text. He's not saying, don't pray for them. He's just saying, I'm not telling you to pray for them. Because my concern here is that you pray for your brothers and sisters that they will persevere to the end. So we can pray with confidence. We can have confidence that even when there is sin, there's going to be confession. There's going to be repentance. And that individual that we see in sin is going to be restored. Why do we have that confidence? Look at verse 18. What's the basis for it? First of all, we've seen already that God promises to give them life. But we also have this. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. It's impossible for the one who has been born of God to persist unrepentantly in sin. And that's why it's because of this and many other scriptures that I have told you many, many times. It is impossible for a believer to sin indifferently, indefinitely. It's impossible for a believer to love the world and the things of the world and have no concern for their love of the world. It is impossible for them to, to go on. So it's impossible for them to love the world without a care and without end. And those two go hand in hand. Hear me, right? A believer can sin serious, sin hard, and sin long. But they can't sin indifferently, indefinitely, without end. That's what the Word of God says here so plainly. I mean, if if any Christian would argue with that, I would say you're plainly arguing with the Word of God. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Why? It's not because we're so special. It's not because we are able to to conjure up this strength within ourselves whenever we face temptation and say, you mean nothing to me anymore. It's because we have been born of God. We have the life of God within us by the Holy Spirit who remains within us. We are new creations in Christ. And that transformation will be powerful to change our lives. This is no cheap grace that God has poured out upon us. He has not given us a grace that is effective to save us from the penalty of sin, but ineffective to save us from the power of sin. It is impossible for those who have been born of God to keep on sinning persistently without repentance. That's why you can pray with confidence. They might sin hard and they might sin long, but if they are a genuine brother, they have truly been born again and have the Spirit of God within them, they will come back. They will be restored. And they will serve God and His people again. And there's more. John says, it's because He who was born of God protects Him. I believe here that John is speaking of Jesus. And by saying that He was born of God, He is not saying that Jesus had a point of origin. That You know, he may have been before creation, but he is not eternal God. That's not what John is saying. I think there are two senses, and the ESV Study Bible points this out. There are two senses in which Jesus was born of God. At his conception, the Bible says that he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. At his resurrection, it's the Father who raised him back to life, and the Bible says he is the firstborn from the dead. And so in that sense, he was born of God. 
And so the Bible says that the firstborn from the dead, the one who was born of God uniquely, he will keep all of his brothers and sisters. He will protect us. He will protect us all the way to glory. Our salvation, church family, cannot be lost. Jesus himself said in John chapter 6, verse 39, he said, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. There is only one way that you can be lost. Well, two ways. There's only two ways that you can be lost. Either Jesus doesn't want to obey the Father, he won't obey the Father, or he can't obey the Father. That's the only two ways that you can be lost. There's a lot of confidence in that. And so the evil one, John says, does not touch us. He wants to shake us out of the grip of the eternal God, but he cannot bring us down. In Christ, we are secure forever. The Bible says we have already died spiritually, doesn't it? Romans 6, we have died with Christ. The old self has been crucified with him, it says in, in Galatians. And so the promise of the word of God is that we will never die spiritually again. All those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who have said, I believe he died for my sin, and I am trusting him. I believe that the Father raised him from the dead. I believe in him alone for my salvation. They have died with Christ to never die spiritually again. So the Bible says in Revelation, the second death has no power over them. So Satan desires to sift us like wheat. That's what it's said about uh, Peter in uh, the book of Luke. He desires to sift us like wheat. He desires to shake up our lives, to shake us out of the grip of God. And so believers under Satan's oppression may sin hard and they may sin long, but they will not sin unto death. They will be restored. Like Peter, we're going to return. I want to tell you how important our prayers, our spiritual intercession for each other is. It is very clear from 1 John 5, 16 to 18, that one of the means that God has appointed for you to persevere in faith unto the end is the prayers of your brothers and sisters. And when you pray to the Father for your brother and sister in sin, the answer is the Son. The answer is that Jesus will protect them. Jesus will keep them. Jesus will not let them continue in that sin. The firstborn Son will keep His brothers and sisters and raise us all up together to be glorified with Him on the last day. So church family, this is a small love, but it has an incredible power. There is an incredible promise here. We need to be praying for one another. I know your, your first inclination in prayer as you pray for other people is to pray for your own immediate family. And I do. Constantly praying for my wife and for my children. And sometimes, after you've prayed you know, for so long and so seriously and in tears for your own family, you're like, man, i got to go. I don't have time to pray for the others. And I know we can get into habits of praying for each other, and we can slip out of the habit of praying for each other. 
But this is one of God's appointed means for us to be kept all the way to glory. So let's pray for one another. Pray for one another in confidence, knowing that it is God's will that we live. We will live. So let's pray with that confidence. Father, we thank you for the promise of your word. We will live. Father, everyone here can think back even into the beginning of this day and see sin. Maybe it's, I don't want to worship with the people of God today. I'd rather do something else. Maybe it's just a a preference for something else than the teaching of the Bible or thinking, oh, this isn't relevant for me or whatever. We all have sins. Maybe there's conflict in our lives with members of our family or whatever. Maybe there's doubts. Maybe there's anger for what you have orchestrated for our lives of late. We all know that there's sin and we all feel guilty. And we all feel fearful of our relationship with you because of our sin. But you promise that you will give us life. You promise, Father, that your Son will keep us unto the end. And the evil one will not touch us. He cannot snatch us out of your grip. And for that, we just we praise you. And I pray, Father, that you would make us lovers of each other in such a way that always we're praying for one another spiritually, that spiritually we would thrive, that even as we're sick, even as we have whatever physical suffering, that this, the spiritual fruit would remain and would actually grow because that's what we want. And so, Father, right now, I pray for those who are going through physical sufferings. I pray for those who have suffered losses. I pray for those who are going through physical tests right now. For those whose future is uncertain. I pray for those, Lord, who uh, have uncertainties in their job or just struggling in their family and relationships. I pray for them, Father, that you would bring healing. I pray, Father, that you would raise up physically the one who is physically sick. But we don't know if that is your will, not for certain. And so we pray, Father, that for those of us who are going through temporal struggles right now, pray that my brothers and my sisters would trust you no matter what. I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit in such a way that love doesn't shrink. pray that love will grow and joy in you will grow and the peace that passes all understanding would increase. I pray that they would find long-suffering endurance to be greater than they ever imagined. And all of the rest, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. I pray that as the outer self wastes away, the inward self, the inner self would be renewed day by day. 
Conform us to the image of your Son. Give us that grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.